welcome to Conversations on Karate. I'm Sue. I'm Greg. And we're joined by the Instagram famous, YouTube famous, <laughs> uh, Rob from McDojo Life. Welcome, hey. Rob. What up, man? Hopefully everybody's doing good. Mm, thank you for coming on. Mad timing for me to drink my drink, but thank you for having me. <laughs> it's, all good. It's, all good. <laughs> it's okay. I think we're all just drinking our drinks. It's uh, what what time is it with you? Are you early over there or when? It is three fifty p.m. Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. But uh, you've had a busy so, so Sorry, Sue. No, 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 I was just saying it's all good. You carry on and have your drink. <laughs> you must need it. <laughs> um, you've just got done doing Brendan Sharp's show. Yeah, he has a, a a segment that he does called What's Up, and he yes. has uh, different people that come in for different segments and ask questions, and uh, we had a pretty good conversation. We had about a 15, 20-minute chit-chat about McDojo's and why you don't see pressure points in MMA and things like that, so it's pretty fun. <laughs> oh, that's all. So the next step's got to be Rogan, surely. Well, we'll see. You know, the, the interesting thing about Rogan is I actually have, like, quite a few stories that are the only reason they ever happened was because directly of Joe Rogan, one of which was the success of the page and how it took off was, I mean, we were doing well and it was already on track, but basically what he did was by shouting it out and talking about it, he gave us yeah. this giant boost forward. He almost like pushed it forward years. Like I probably wouldn't be where I was like when he first shouted it out mm. uh, until now, to be honest. And so, and that was, you know, years ago. And so now because of that, it gave us a good foothold to be able to build a brand and yeah. have, you know, uh, an audience that can connect to the material that we're putting out. But the, the, the other thing was, is that he does the nicest things for people out of nowhere for no reason at all. He will just do the nicest things, but we've never actually had a full blown conversation before. Yeah. And so that's like, it's, it's kind of strange because on one hand, you don't want to pester someone. And, you know, but on the other hand, they're doing these nice things for you. So it's like, well, I want to say thank you, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's a it's a weird spot, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's you're one step closer with Brendan, that's for sure, <laughs> to, to get it on Joe's show. Well, we'll see, you know, like I'm yeah. just going to what I've realized is at the end of the day, if I just focus on my brand and working on what yeah, I yeah. have, um, then I actually grow. 10 times more than trying to worry about who I can speak with or what show I can be on. Like I even made a rule. I made two rules actually when I first started the page. Um, one, I would answer every direct message I ever got, which I still do. Um, mm -hmm. It's a nightmare, but I try. Um, <laughs> and then the other was no matter who asked me to be on a show, I'd be on the show. Doesn't matter. I, I've been the, the, the first guest on like 15 different people's podcasts in which they only maybe did three episodes and then stopped. But I just did it because <laughs> asked, you know? Yeah, that's a cool way to to look at it. Yeah, where how how did your channel come about anyway? Was it literally just trying to point out bullshit martial arts? Is that where it just came from? Yeah, kind of. I mean, like I, I've told the story a few times, but it's uh, it's it it started because of a conversation I had with a student. I was a basically working the front desk at a martial arts studio, a jiu-jitsu academy. And while I was working the front desk, I was also their striking coach and I was uh, helping with jiu-jitsu classes and teaching the kids classes and stuff like that. So I, I wore a lot of hats there. Um, but one day the instructor, the main instructor, he was sick and he wasn't able to make it in. And I know he was really sick 
because he never called in. So something, he must have been really sick. So he was just like, hey, teach a couple techniques and then go ahead and spar with the guys. And it was a noon class, so I went in, taught a few things like an arm bar, triangle choke. And then after that, we sparred. But after that, we just kind of stood around and shot the crap. You know, we were chit-chatting, having conversations, and the subject of McDojo's came up. Um, and we talked about that for a while, and then everyone left, except for one guy. It was his second class ever. He did a trial class. This is his first official class after his trial. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, man, I'm a little embarrassed, but I heard you guys talking about something called the McDojo, and I don't know what that is. So he said he was a little lost during that conversation. And I explained to him what have kind of developed into what are now our five rules of what a McDojo is. Um, and he, he said something that kind of stuck with me. He said, why doesn't anybody do anything about that? And uh, I thought about it, and I didn't have an answer for him. I said, I really don't know. I mean, there is no regulating body to the martial arts. You have individual organizations that might cover individual arts, but yeah. not an entire governing body of rules and regulations for martial arts. And so I thought on it, and the next day I couldn't stop thinking about it, so I just started the page. Um, and mm -hmm. it was much different now than what it was then. What it was then was I would do these long-form essays going through individual schools' websites, spotting red flags as to what people should look for when trying to get into a new martial arts studio. Um, but no one read them. <laughs> so like, um, one day I was like, I had something to do and I didn't have time because I was posting once every day, which is still pretty much what I post. Um, and I didn't have time to, to write an essay or do research for something. So instead of doing that, I just reshared like a video. I don't remember what it was, but it was just some kind of martial arts funny video. And when I came back, I noticed that I had more followers and more interaction and more comments than any other post that I had posted. And so it kind of gave me the idea that maybe through comedy and satire, I can get more people's attention. And maybe if I don't say so much and I allow room for discussion, um, then maybe more people will want to be involved. And that's what happened. Rather yeah. than writing these long form yeah. essays about everything I felt about it, I would just make a one line joke and then put it out there. And then people would talk to each other, which is really what the whole goal is to, to kind of shed light on what is and what is not legitimate. And it seemed to be the better way. And so far it's been working ever since I've done that. Our pages, pages blows up every day. It grows. People like to be part of a conversation, don't they? They like to be part of something. So like when you're, like you say, you're opening it up so that people can share and talk and get their opinions in there. People love to be a part of something and be able to share it rather than having someone always just tell you what they think. That's great. Yeah, for sure. Um, also, uh, I found that every social media has its own niche. Every social media has its own thing that works better than another social media. For instance, YouTube is much better for long-form conversation. So yeah. I don't need to put that on any other platform. Whereas Instagram is better for one-minute clips, one-minute or pictures. That's it. Um, Twitter is much better for just a, a few comments that come off the top of your head, your thoughts and ideas and opinions coming out onto the page. So what I realized was rather than trying to treat every social media like it was its own, like they were all the same, what I started doing was changing up how to interact with the social media. For instance, if you post a, a, a video, a one-minute clip on an Instagram, for instance, I can tell people, hey, go check out the breakdown on our YouTube. And then I can have a much longer forum, which is better suited for that format there. 
Um, and then during like UFCs, I'll go on Twitter and I'll just make comments about fights and stuff like that because that works better. Yeah. And so I think that it helped as I started to evolve to start understanding social media a little bit better, um, which before I only pretty much had Facebook and didn't interact with anything else. I had no clue what I was doing when I started. Mm. Yeah, it does yeah. take an awful lot of learning, you know, figuring out, just testing and trying it. Do you, do you yeah, find different? I, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say something else then, but no, I was wrong. I was going to say I suck at social media. <laughs> <laughs> we have our Instagram page, which I do, and I, I hardly post on it because I just, yeah, that's a story for another day. <laughs> I'm not great at it, but I'm going to remember what you said. I'm going to, I'm going to take it in. Yeah, man. Social yeah. media is its own beast. You know, like what people don't understand and like I still am kind of blown away by people nowadays, especially in the dynamic of how life has changed and technology has evolved. Social media itself can be a full time career and job for people. Um, it's not something that I and some people are like, that's not a real job. Like, <laughs> try it. <laughs> try it. Tell me this isn't a full time job. Like I've oh, done God, yeah. shows today. I was live earlier for two hours. After that, I had to make my posts. I had to do another breakdown. I literally work 12 to 15 hours every day, and I do it because I love it. I love my job. Yeah. But all yeah, of that, I mean, that's not just creating content, is it? It's curating the content. It's then dividing up the content. It's repurposing the content, <laughs> talking about the content, talking about the next content. Well, is <laughs> what I like to call it is equity. And so the real equity and social media is not the content. And I know a lot of people think that it is. The real equity, the the investment that you're putting in is into people. Like taking the time to talk to as many people who are willing to talk with you who think that you're important. Because I don't think I'm important, but if somebody reached out to me with a question, a comment, a concern, a topic, they think I'm important. And so if that's the case, then it's important for me to reciprocate that by giving my time. That's all I can really do. And so what a lot of people will do is they'll put out content, like just put it out there, like hours and hours of content. And then they'll wonder why no one follows them. Well, then I'll ask them, well, why didn't you answer any of your direct messages? Oh, I don't have time for that. Well, you should make it. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's more important because those people who are trying to interact with you are the only reason that you have a platform. They are the people talking to you. And so I'm always a little taken back when a page, any page, doesn't matter how big it is doesn't take the time to at least answer or respond to people. It just kind of blows my mind. And we talked about Rogan earlier. He answers like direct messages. Like that dude has millions of people that follow him and he still takes the time to do that. The rock, the rock will take the time to answer his direct messages. It blows my mind that yeah, these guys insane. who are so busy do that. You know, I guess that's why they are where they are though. And why people think so highly of guys like that, because they do do things like that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it, to me, you know, online is very much like my house. And, you know, like if I go to like an Instagram or a YouTube or whatever, that's my home. And each one of those social medias are just a different room in my house. YouTube is its own room and Instagram's its own room, but it's still my house. And when I go to those rooms, I'm interacting with guests in my home. And when those guests are very polite to me, if I was at my house and someone walked up to talk to me, I would talk to them, right? I wouldn't just ignore them walking past, right? But, that if someone's rude to me, I would not allow them to stay in my home, right? And so yeah. that's the beauty of the block button. I can kick them out of my house anytime <laughs> I want. And so that's kind of how I try to treat it is like it's just my home, and these people are guests in my home. I've invited them to come and 
get to know me, get to know what I do, get to know about my career and things about my life. And if I was kind enough to invite them into my home and they're asking me a question, I would talk to them. But I'm pretty vicious when it comes to people who are rude as well. Like if you're rude to me, I'm going to treat you just like I would if you were rude to my face. You know, mm. <laughs> like I don't tolerate it. And martial artists are notoriously <laughs> online dreadful at being rude to people, as we've noticed. Do you, do you deal with that a lot? Do you deal with a lot of people? Well, I, I mean, guess by the, you know, by the nature of your page, <laughs> maybe people trying to defend things in your videos and stuff like that. I actually welcome that. Like I go live Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays on Instagram and I invite anyone that wants to join for a face to face mm -hmm. conversation to join um, because I want to I want to have these debates. That's the whole point. But yeah. if, it, if it becomes like an insult or somebody's trying to be degrading or they're not actually adding to the value of the conversation, that's when it's done. Like, uh, you know, I have scars on my face. And one thing that's pretty interesting about doing that is you don't like it's not something I think about day to day because I see through my eyes out. So I don't have mm. to look at me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but other people look at me. And so when I when people bring it up, if they bring it up in a polite way, I have a polite response. If they bring it up in a rude way, I just delete them. Like I don't need that type of negativity in my life. And you can see that happens with a lot of people on social media who have a presence is they go through these like existential crises where they have like these these issues where they they freak out because they lost followers. Man, I don't care. Like I do this because I love it. And if I lost a hundred thousand followers tomorrow or I lost my Instagram, as bad as that would suck, I would get up and I would do it again because I do what I love for a living. I don't do it necessarily to appease the one guy who doesn't like the way I wear my mustache. You know? <laughs> like, screw that guy. I'll do what I please. You know? And so I think that that's the hard part with a lot of people on social media is they feel that they have to please all the time. Like, you don't. Yeah. The only person you need to please is the person you wake up to the mirror to. And so I wake up, I go, am I happy? Sure am. And I go back to work. And if I'm not, that won't have anything to do with some random dude in Toledo who made one comment that I didn't like. You know, like I usually laugh at those things because I feel, one, that it's funny. Like if somebody cracks a joke at me and I think it's disrespectful, I'll laugh. I'll still delete them, but I'll yeah. laugh, you know. But at the same time, why do I do this? Am I doing this because I want to make absolutely everyone happy? Well, that's impossible. That's a, that's an impossible standard to make everyone happy. So why try? Just make yeah. you happy. That's good advice. I feel I'm gonna I'm gonna take that on board for sure. Because <laughs> that's you knows. I'm the t I, I hate. Yeah, that's a that's a story for another day as well. Let's um let's talk about McDojo's in general. Do, this was one of Sue's things. Do you have a, a, a favorite McDojo? As bad oh. as that sounds. <laughs> yes, the I one, actually ones do. that you've looked at. Um, there's actually a few that I really enjoy. One is like Bujinkan Ninjutsu. Uh, Bujinkan uh, Ninjutsu is a giant organization. Uh, for Hatsumi, that, um, Hatsumi, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Hatsumi Sensei yeah. at one point in time was like this – he was like a strong dude. You could tell he was like working out all the time. Very talented martial artist as a matter of fact. Um, no matter what you believe or don't believe in, in terms of ninjutsu lineage, uh, he mm -hmm. himself was actually very talented. But yeah. then over the years, he developed what I consider uh, what I call Steven Seagal syndrome, which is where <laughs> you were very talented and you were very talented, very well to do martial artists. You were making money doing well. But I feel like he didn't have anybody in his corner telling him no. And yeah. we all need that. 
We need people to put us in check. We need people to be mm-hmm. brutally honest with us from time to time. And if you don't, your ego takes it away. Yeah. And so out of nowhere, the dude starts teaching this pressure point stuff directly from Kyoshu Jitsu, which is another thing that I find hilarious because uh, you can't knock somebody out by poking them in the shoulder. Um, the other thing is he, <laughs> he decided one day he was like, you know what? We're no longer going to follow what everybody else is doing. Rather than stopping at 10th degree, we're going to go up to 15th degree. And like he did at one point, he did do that in increments. He went from 10 to 12 and then from 12 to 15. And let's just be honest. The only reason he did that was money. That's the only yeah, reason to sure. do that. You continue to have belt promotions and charge people. And then what happens when your black belts get promoted? Well, eventually they hit the end of the line. How can I charge them money? <laughs> you know, so you have to continue to find ways of doing that, um, which also doesn't speak really highly of the art in itself. When mm. you have people who can get to when you have so many black belts in your organization, rather than just finding new ways of testing them or putting them through, you know, the fire or putting them through something that will challenge them. You just go, you know what? We'll just add more belt ranks. <laughs> like, why? what? Like, how about you like just do degrees like everybody else, homie? Like you can do, a, yeah. you know, like you could stop at 10, like make them make the long, make the time longer to reach. You well, know, I, I, know, I remember just, um, a, a while ago. Uh, I think it might have been Joe actually, Sue, shared a post on Facebook about uh, some karate organization on about bringing in, a, in an 11th dan and how do we feel about it. And I was like, well, how, how many 10th dans do you know? Like, I don't know any. Like, so why do we need an 11th? Surely there can't be that many 10th dans that, that maybe one of them need an 11th. It seems crazy to me. Yeah, I think that you know by, by trying to take – because we're always on this line in the martial arts industry of trying to walk the line of traditionalism and upholding the traditionalism and all of the things that come with that, the ceremonies and the, you know, but the truth is, is along the lines, someone made that like there was no original belt ranking system that did not exist. Absolutely. Started, Um, you know, that was something that was created. And as a matter of fact, I went to the martial arts history museum in Burbank and I heard the story about how that kind of got started, which is very interesting. The original theory was that somebody had a white belt and it got dirty and eventually became a black belt. So that is just not true. Yeah, um, no, what actually true. happened was the founder, Jigoro Kano, I do believe, is the founder of judo. Yeah. And one of the guys who helped perpetuate karate and growing it, Funakoshi, if I remember. Yeah, yeah, Funakoshi. Yeah. Funakoshi. They were actually friends, um, yeah, which I did friends, know, yeah. they were – growing things around the same time and they actually came up with the gi that they were using from based off of firefighters uniforms so like they were hanging out like our kimonos are getting ripped all the time because they used to wear traditional kimonos when they would train but the problem is is they were very thin um especially in judo you need a thicker gi and so what they would they did was they were walking past a firefighter station one day and saw them suited up in their apparel and they were like man what's that made out of and then they started looking at it, and they were like, oh, this is like a really heavy, thick canvas. That's really cool. Maybe we should use this instead. And that's where the uniforms originally came from. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that either until I went. Um, <laughs> and they actually had one on display there, which is really cool. One of the very, very, very old traditional geese that that was there, like one of the first. And it looked rough, but it's been much better now. Um, and then the belt system actually originated from – uh swim meets yeah so yeah 
Yeah, they would, you know, separate swimmers in different categories based off of stripes that were different colors. And that's how they kind of went, you know what, we should do that. We'll be a black belt and there'll be white belts. And then eventually, I don't remember the color. It was either green or blue was incorporated for coaches um, because the founders, the black belts, they were out spreading martial arts around the world. So who do you put in charge? You got to have another guy. Um, And so it's pretty neat how all that comes about. But Somewhere between there and now, we have degrees, we have other belt levels, we have other belt ranks. So it's all been just made up as we go anyway, but it does seem to have much greater value when you say, yo, we made it up to this point, but this is this is now locked in. 10 degree black belt, that's as high as you're going to get. You're going to be like 175 years old by the time you get there, so you don't even need to worry about it. Just do the best you can and... I think people mess up belt ranks in their head. I think it destroys mm. a lot of people in the martial arts because they 100%. use the belt ranks to compare themselves to other people. They don't use it to compare themselves to how they were the day before, which mm-hmm. is a little bit more what it should be like. You know, are you getting better? Why are you comparing yourself to someone else? Like if you have cerebral palsy, why would you think that your abilities physically are ever going to match someone who was able-bodied? Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you can't be better than you were the day before, you know? And so I think that that's the importance of a belt system, not to yeah. compare ourselves to others. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. And with the belt it thing is. as well, it's, it's hard to even cross compare through styles, let alone like martial arts. You know, a black belt in Taekwondo is not the same as a black belt in BJJ. It's not the same. The levels never match style to style. So... Yeah, we, we've had this discussion before, haven't we, Sue? Belts sometimes can be... We have. We have. I cannot. I mean, at my age, in my level of fitness, I cannot hit, you know, first dad black belt and be the same as a 27-year-old guy. It's never going to happen. Can't be done. Yeah. You know, I, I would be really great, but it's not going to be the same. It's just not going to be the same. And you've got to make peace of that. It doesn't mean that you can't get there. It just means it's going to look different when you do. Yeah, and that's that's the beauty of it. It's, it's an yeah. individual sport that is surrounded by people (laughs) it's the strangest thing because you're going to better yourself and then as you go you start to realize that you not only are bettering yourself but you by proxy are bettering everyone around you because without you they can't get better and without them you can't get better and so it's this weird team slash individual sport that's very hard to pin down and you can always tell the younger guys i would say younger by 40 and under Because they're the ones who argue online about physical skill. They're the ones who are like, well, I can kick that guy's ass. Well, yeah, it's because you're 20. Wait till you're 60, boss, (laughs) and see how that goes. Wait till you're 55. Wait till your first major injury. Wait until you have some type of disease. Wait until you lose a limb or have a nerve uh, damage or, you know, people don't like able-bodied people in the martial arts industry have so much ego Mm. that everything is about a fight. It's always about who can beat who up. And that is a, a, the smallest percentage of what martial arts is important for. And, uh, yeah, should you be able to learn how to defend yourself? Sure. But what's more important is is the school you're going to being honest with you. Like, are you being honest with you? That's That's the beauty of it. If I go to a taekwondo school and I know that that school is known for producing stunt performers, 
And they tell me that. Like, for instance, Mike Chatterata, but very famous uh, martial artist. He started something called XMA, which was originally, you know, acrobatic kicking and tricking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he, his school is not a school for fighters. It never has claimed to be. His school is specifically a school for people to learn how to be stunt performers and to move up and to work in Hollywood. But it would be cool if you go to a school and they're just upfront and honest with you like they very much are. They're going to be yeah. like, look, you might not be the best fighter in the world, but we'll make you rich. <laughs> you know, they're like, all right, well, shit, I'll do that. You know? <laughs> yeah, sign you me know? up. Yeah. But there's so, so many people who try to invalidate martial arts if it isn't effective for defending yourself, which the yeah. thing is, is that every martial art, no matter what martial art you do, is going to be effective in some things and not effective in others, period. And there is no end-all, be-all. That's the beauty of it. It's the ultimate paradox of martial arts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the thing we've said before, again, is and we, we shit on traditional traditional karate people a lot, don't we, see? But we'll do it again. Is that, <laughs> <laughs> is, I mean, we are karate, but... It, is a lot of the time they advertise things that they just don't deliver. And that's what doesn't sit well with me a lot of the time is you, you get some bullied young kid go in and like, oh, I'm going to learn to fight the world with this. And you're just not. But they still well, try and sell it that you are, you know? Yeah. yeah. And we were just looking, you know, to, to get, you know, getting ready. And we were chatting beforehand and we were looking at some videos. And, and Greg was looking at a guy um, who, who runs a big uh, franchise company in this country called Matt Fidesz. And yes. um, and he was showing, uh, you know that guy. So we'll talk. We'll come back to him in just a second. But he was showing um, an escape from a wrist grab. So he is standing there perfectly nicely with his hand out, and the other guy is standing there perfectly nicely holding on to his wrist. And I said to Greg, "Well, have you ever actually been grabbed by somebody angry?" He said, "No." I said, "Well, the thing is, when someone angry grabs you, they don't just like hold your wrist. They're grabbing you to move you somewhere. You know, they're yanking you off your feet, dragging you in the next room, or dragging you out." whatever you you can't just gently twist your wrist and escape from that it's not how it works when someone wants to to pull you you're moving it's it's a that's, it's a violent thing. thing you're being yanked forward you've got to hold on you are going to have to do something more than just twist your wrist yeah, there's, there's there's a lot to dissect there so um Oh dear! I just said something unspeakably stupid. <laughs> no, 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 no! As a matter of fact, that wouldn't just, be the uh, first time. Soon. <laughs> it, wouldn't, no, it wouldn't be the first uh, time. I'm, I'm racing. You guys actually just covered like five subjects in a matter of a very short amount of time, and I just wanted to touch on each one because yeah, I actually have sure. strong opinions about all of those. Um, one, um, just to make sure I'm correct, the gentleman you were speaking about, he got his claim to fame because he was supposedly the bodyguard of Michael, Michael Jackson. Jackson. That's okay. man, yes. just, just so I know I'm on the same page about who that guy is. Um, yeah. But when it comes to like traditional martial arts, um, the hard part is, is that when you're looking at whatever traditional is, like I'm assuming we're talking about traditional Okinawan, Shonru karate, things like that, that originated in the motherlands of their country. Like karate, for instance, obviously Okinawa, Japan, and then branched out from there. But when we look mm -hmm. at that kind of stuff, the hard part is, is that when you're looking at arts and we take a martial art and i'm not downing what you're saying in any way maybe just looking at something in a different light but when you're looking at traditional martial arts whenever we toss out vague generalizations of arts themselves i think that what that does is it undermines the individual instructors who actually do a good job yeah 
um, because there are great martial artists. For instance, if you look at like a guy like Leota Machida, Machida oh, Karate. Sure. This is actually yeah. a very traditional version of karate. Now, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. They do weird stuff. The dude drinks his own pee. That's not going to be something that I do. And I don't think that that's necessarily part of the curriculum. <laughs> Maybe that's just his own dietary needs or whatever yeah. that is. I wouldn't sell that's, that in a lemonade stand. That's all I'm saying. That's the tough down belt test. <laughs> but when you're looking at like uh, like martial arts, for instance, the hard part about martial arts as a whole is it's very segregated and it's purposely mm -hmm. done that way. It's always mine is better than yours. And it's always if there's a problem, the problem isn't me, the problem is you. So if you look at you see this a lot in martial arts schools, even the term McDojo, which can be very which can be used this way, it's used this way a lot, where people go, well, that guy's a McDojo because. And then usually the because is followed by something that doesn't necessarily make it fake or false or not real. Like, for instance, they'll go, well, that guy's a McDojo. He's got like 400 students. He's he's overcharging. Well, that's subjective. Like, mm -hmm. what people can afford is up to them. And if they make the decision to go, that's on them. Like, mm -hmm. we're doing a job. Like, no one takes the martial arts class from the guy in the cardboard box. <laughs> you know, you don't walk by the hobo and go, hey, man, you like, you know, martial arts. And then would you teach a seminar? No, you'd never do that, right? Like yeah. perception is very big. So if I walk into a school and it smells awful and there's no one at the reception and the equipment's old, I'm not going to automatically assume that this is a good school because mm. they're already screaming at me that they're unorganized. They're not getting enough money in. So that's a big red flag as well. It lets me know a lot about the facility before I even do it. Um, so if it's bad on the outside of the mat, it will be bad on the inside of the mat yeah. unless it's the person's ego telling you differently. They go, oh, well, our karate is great. We're old school. We're rough and tumble. Like, okay, so what that means is you're going to beat the shit out of me for like an hour. Your yeah. mat's going to give me staph infection. No one's ever going to greet me when I come in. I'm going to feel uncomfortable every time I come in here, and I can bet dollars to donuts that the mat's dirty, the bathroom is dirty. Like, it smells like the – that's not an environment conducive to growth. And people, yeah. for some reason, like to think that that's a good thing. That's not. That's <laughs> a terrible thing. Yeah. Um, now, when it comes to like the techniques, right? Um, what I've seen, just in my my experience, is that there are really four different ways to train any technique. Um, the first is just technique. What is called technique? It's where you go through something as slow as humanly possible because most people are really dumb, <laughs> unfortunately. And you go, all right, go ahead and reach out and grab my wrist, <laughs> all right? And then they go, oh, and they grab your your shoulder. No, 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 we're not talking about the shoulder yet. We're talking about just the wrist. And then you break down the processes of the technique. Then you have something called sombrata, which you hear in Latin Filipino martial arts, which is just like flowing through the motions. Yeah. Right, we're not sparring, but we're not necessarily not resisting. But if you don't do it correctly, I'm not just gonna let you do it. You have to do it correctly. Yeah. Then you have drilling, which is you're just doing it as quick and as hard as you can because you've got the technique down. Now you can ingrain it by doing it hard and fast. And then finally, you have sparring. So, whenever I look at like the wrist lock stuff, what's sad is when you only see, which I agree with you by the way, you only see the stationary. I stand there, you grab my yeah. wrist, I get out of it. What you don't typically see as much as you should other than jiu-jitsu because breaking grips is a huge part of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah, absolutely, but, yeah. Uh, what you don't see as much in traditional martial arts, which is a shame, is that next step of, okay, I worked on this. I have this down. Now let's apply this. You know, like one person, I want you to do me a favor. Your job is to grab that person's wrist, and I want you to drag them from where they are to that spot on the mat. 
If you do that, reset, the other person's going to do the same to you. If not, yeah. then I guess you got out. <laughs> Technique works. We re reapply. But it has to be done in a situation that's a little more tense, a little more realistic, and a little bit more aggressive. So that way you understand what it's like to have another human being manhandle you a little bit and not just let you do it. That If that's missing in a school, that typically is a huge red flag that what you're doing is nonsense. Yeah. That's that's one of the things I've noticed with uh, we'll go back to what you said about pressure points is I've heard, oh, you know, we don't use these inspiring because they're just too dangerous. We we can't do it. <laughs> what do you mean they're too dangerous? If I punch you full power in the gym, that's quite dangerous, but we can still train it if we need to. It's uh, it's madness. Yeah, it's madness. It's, it's always strange to me that the delusion that some martial arts instructors will have. And it's it's I think what it is is I think it's a bit of shame. Um, you know, I could be wrong because there's a lot of fraud martial arts out there, martial artists. There are a lot of people out there who are conning people. I mean, that's how I make my living, right? Finding these people and I yeah. never run out of content. But I think a little bit of shame comes with it. Like when I look at somebody like a George Dillman, he's probably a prime example oh. of somebody who was one of the ultimate con men in the in the industry. George yeah. Dillman at one time had like a legitimate pedigree he was competing in sport karate he was yeah. hanging out and training with guys like muhammad ali he was training with guys like elvis he was training which i'm not necessarily saying elvis is legit but i'm saying that you know he had clout enough and notoriety yeah. enough to be able to be in contact with some of these celebrities well and he's, then, he spent a lot of time with um uh, i think his name's uh, hohan soken or something who is one of yes kind of like the late great one of the last okinawan masters or something also con man um yeah I've heard he, that learned, as well. he learned his no touch knockout to a tay pressure point stuff from him which yeah. he claims and they have a weird dynamic as well because if you look at hohan soken and you look at like some of the older magazines and stuff like he's on the cover of several martial arts magazines with george dillman yeah. And then later on down the road, he says, well, George Dillman only trained with me at seminars here and there, and he was never a part of the organization. Um, as much as I know George Dillman's full of it, I also think that guy was full of it as well, because if you were going to be on the cover of a magazine, who would you put on the cover? Your top students with you, or would you put on some dude who was randomly in a seminar from time to time? Mm. You know, that doesn't process well, we, um... We spoke to Joe Swift a while ago. I don't know if you know who Joe, uh, he's a karate historian, and he was saying that uh, Hohan's apparent teacher is a, can't even apparently be verified as an actual human being who actually existed. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's really weird, weird how that there. delusion goes. And you know, Dillman eventually down the road just I again believe that he had a little Seagal syndrome where people just started kissing his butt. And trying to buy into this, like, be around this guy who's more of a celebrity, and they allowed him to teach them hot garbage, where I know that if I went to my instructor, me and my instructor have a great relationship, if he did something that I thought was less than par, I could talk to him and just say, hey, man, I don't know if that would really work. Can you show me? And then I know that my instructor would show me, <laughs> which is the whole perk of having a good instructor. He wouldn't yeah. be like, oh, it's too deadly. You know, like <laughs> he would show me. He would let me know why this applies, when this applies. And every technique in itself is a percentage. You know, like yeah, they did a book. I don't know if you guys have ever read this book or not, but it's fantastic. It's called Fightnomics. And no. 
uh, Fightnomics was a, a, a research study, basically. And what they did was they looked at UFC 1 to UFC 100, and then they kept statistics of everything that happened in those fights. I mean, it was it's a great book. It lets you know. It's basically a cheat book if you want to ever learn how to bet on MMA. But um, <laughs> it lets you know, like, what percentage submissions were working, what round they were effective in, what was the most effective submission, what punch was the most effective, all of that stuff. Um, and one of the interesting things that was in that book that stands out to me is it talks about two submissions that are really interesting. One is the rear naked choke, and the other one is a triangle choke. Now, a rear naked choke is the highest percentage submission in MMA history. The odds of you getting a rear naked choke once you're in the position to land it are actually 50%. So you have a 50% chance once you get someone's back of actually landing a rear naked choke, according to this book, Statistics UFC 1 to 100. Yeah. Well, that's 50%. The highest percentage technique that you could possibly do in an MMA fight out of all the techniques, submissions and striking – is just 50%. <laughs> so like when I look at people who come up with these techniques or they have these ideas, I always go back to that about effectiveness. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, well, the most effective and like one of the best litmus tests that we have for real fighting is only 50%. And surprisingly enough, your odds of getting a submission are greatly hindered by what round you're in. So as the rounds go on, the odds of you nailing submissions drastically drop. Yeah. So, um, but there's only one submission that actually your odds go up as the rounds go on, which is a triangle choke because of the way that it lands. You're on yeah. your back. You're on your back. The yeah. person is in your guard. They're tired. So their body is slumped over now. They're no longer keeping good posture and it becomes much easier for you to land. Um, so that's to me, that book is like the holy grail of understanding what is and what is not effective or legitimate in fights. Because like, for instance, a jab, a jab is nothing more than a tool. It's me sticking my arm out and pulling my hand back. What I do with my hand at that point is an option. Am I grabbing hair? Am I hitting someone in the throat? Am I poking them in the eye? Am I putting my thumb in their eye? Am I getting a clench? Still, this movement is still the movement you're doing. And so when people are like, well, that would never work because I could do that in a street fight, uh, I'd poke you in the eye. Well, like these dudes can poke you in the eye too because they've been jabbing people all day. They're very good at jabbing people. So now instead of making a fist, they just stick their fingers up and now they're poking you in the eye instead. And so it's just kind of an interesting thing how people view martial arts as a whole when we have all these great litmus tests for effectiveness and they ignore that to say, oh, well. I'm, this is too deadly. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> like, yeah. No, it's not. Not too deadly. <laughs> You're just making that up. But, you know, people believe it's, it. It's crazy to me that all these years have gone. But, like, I mean, it's been like nearly 30 years ago since the first UFC, and we're still having conversations like this. It's insane that, that people still ignore stuff like you've just said. I, I, I can't understand it. Well, I think that that kind of comes with the shame. You know, I think that when yeah, you're maybe young, you're right, yeah. you know, you're young, you're athletic, you can do these things physically. And so you can lean on that and you can go, yeah, that I would like to do that thing, but I'm not going to want to do judo when I'm 60. You know, yeah. I'm going to want to do Tai Chi in the park. I'm trying to move slow. Um, plus I'll be hammered drunk by that time. You know, I'm going to be <laughs> retired. I'm going to be doing what I want. You know, like my goal is 10 black belts before I die. That's what I would like in my career to be able to say that I had a very good handle on 
different martial arts and to be able to give people expertise from a base of knowing, not yeah. guessing, you know, and I think there's a lot of people in the world who look at things and they guess, but they've never done it and they've never put their hands in the pot or they never had a full contact fight or, you know, like Joshua Fabia is a, is a great example of someone who's <laughs> yes. leeching, leeching on to the community for clout, but with no real experience behind him. But he was a good con man. You know, he was he's a cult leader. And he was yeah. able to recently he luckily Diego came to his damn senses and got rid is of that, that. Is that is that true? He's he's split from him now. Is that right? Uh, according to everything that I have read and seen yeah. in conversations, they are split. And as a matter of fact, Joshua Fabia is now talking crap, talking down and bad about Diego, which is uncalled. Really? Yeah. Wow. He said in a in an interview, he said that Diego was taking advantage of him. <laughs> what? <laughs> like. No one knows who you are. <laughs> yeah. Just... One of my one of my favorite videos recently was with, with him in that media meeting, and Paul Felder just just goes, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Thank God he was in that room." Yeah. Um, yeah. Megan O'Leary was in that room, also yeah. very stand up human yeah. being. Was like calling him out. I just mm -hmm. if you're. It's also it's just so strange to me, but like you know, you were saying it's weird in this day and age that this stuff comes on. But I think in people's minds, when they hear the word cult, they automatically associate cult with religion. Mm -hmm. um, you can have a cult of anything. You can have a cult of personality. You can have a cult of politics. You can have a cult. Uh, yeah, hell, you could have a, a poker cult if you wanted to. All you really need is just a group of people to follow you for your benefit, not their benefit. That's yeah. it. Next thing you know, you have a cult. Um, and it's just so weird to me that people don't, you know, I guess I guess because I'm engulfed in it that I can see, like, I see a lot of it now. I see it all over the world, and I see what it does when it's unchecked. Cults unchecked, you get Indonesia. That's all All that is. Indon uh, Indonesian Salat was such a well-respected art at one time because if you wanted to learn how to use stick and knife, you would go to the cultures that had to use sticks and knives, and yeah. Indonesia was one of those. And now there are over 200 different versions of Salat. Um, actually, yeah, there's over 200 different versions of Indonesian Salat. All these different organizations pop up, and half of them follow mysticism. Um, and they're only really doing it because it's an impoverished country. No one's stopping them from doing it. They can pretend that they're these martial arts masters and get these these clubs, form these clubs, and then people just give them money. Like there are famous ones. There was a famous one. Her name is Cynthia uh, Chandra or something like that. She's got like 1.4 million followers on YouTube. Complete fraud. Utter wow. complete fraud. They believe that they can knock people out with their mind. They believe they can break boulders in half. They believe they can kick concrete pillars. And all their are cut. Here's one. Here's one of my favorite ones. They have one called the Ghost Blade, where it's a sword, and they take this sword. And they swipe it across a metal pole. The sword goes. Did you just goes, do a video of that recently? Did you I just did. do one where you were busting it? That was so good. <laughs> yeah, it's like they do it right, and then they cut a carrot that's attached to the pole, but they don't cut the pole, and the sword goes right through it like a ghost. And people are like, "Oh my god, it's magic!" And they're trying to convince people that they can do this for real. Now, I'm a skeptic. And then Indonesians now are starting to get tired of it. They actually have a hashtag going around Indonesia saying stop public duping 
because there's so many people in Indonesia who are doing these snake oil cons through Salat yeah. that they're tired of being taken advantage of. And so I posted this video the other day about how they did it, which is just basically After Effects. It's a program that you can buy on your computer to do movie stuff. And still, even after showing that evidence, people don't believe it. So a group over there in Indonesia called them out. We're talking MMA fighters, actually full contact slot fighters, uh, kickboxers. They all said, hey, we'll meet you and we'll put this stuff to the test. We want to do five tests, which is smart. That's the scientific way of doing it. We don't want to rumble or fight you. We just want you to show and prove that you can do these things. They yeah. agreed. I guess expecting these people not to show up. They agreed. They agreed to meet them at a very specific spot. All these fighters show up. Who doesn't show up? Those two con artists. Who did they send instead? They send their lawyer and their manager. Wow. And it's like, well, you know, there was all these people. So let me get this straight. You were scared of them. So you sent other people instead. So you basically put other people in danger because you felt you were in danger. They should be. Aren't you the martial arts master? You sent your lawyer and your manager rather than yourself. Like, and by the way, they were at a police station when they met. <laughs> like, they were surrounded by police. So that way there was a group there to control it so it didn't get violent. That was the most regulated area you could possibly be. And they still didn't show up. And now when you're online, they're like, well, you got to show up to our house. It's like, I'm not going to your house, you weirdo. Like, why would I do that? That's the dumbest yeah. thing I've ever heard. Like, I just, it blows my mind because they can perpetuate the lie. Um, and now that they have such an audience, that audience who is devout, they control the narrative from their page. So I try to control the narrative from mine to let people know the truth. Just facts. People can do with it what they want. Yeah, it, it is incredible that people will tie themselves in knots. To believe something, you know, once they've once they've bought into something, they will do they will twist themselves into incredible shapes in order to justify it against other people. Yeah, it's a, a term called cognitive dissonance. It really is. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting <laughs> to be around. You know, when you try and read people on on Twitter who are trying to do that with something or, or what have you is just trying to follow trying to follow someone's thought processes when they're doing that. Is is uh, is weird, yeah. you know? Because I try to watch people explain why the Earth is flat and how everybody knows it, and and exactly how that works and and what the conspiracy really entails, and you're like, oh, it just just really gives you a headache trying to follow it. You I know? guess they've never been on an airplane. <laughs> like, <laughs> just get on an airplane that's going from like let's say Jacksonville to California, and then just look out. And you can see the curvature of the earth. Like, it's not that hard, man. <laughs> so every every time I watch a video of Eddie Bravo, I'm like, oh, this is really good technique. And then he starts talking about flat earth. I'm like, oh, damn it. Just show me some jiu-jitsu. <laughs> I do have else. one conspiracy theory. Like, there is one that I believe in. Okay. Um, there's, there's a lot of conspiracy theories, and I didn't believe in any until growing up. It took decades for me to believe this. So when I was a child, I'm 36 now, but when I was a child— there was there's a military installation in the United States called Area 51. Mm. And so when I was a child, anyone that believed Area 51 that was that anyone that believed Area 51 was a real place was called an idiot, was called a clown, was called a conspiracy theorist. 
Flash forward to being an adult. Now, also, if you really want to look at like this being, there's a movie called Independence Day with Will Smith about like aliens. In that movie, one of the jokes is that Area 51 exists. That's a joke in that movie, yeah. right? The president didn't even know Area 51 existed, right? It was a huge joke. Flash forward like 10, 20 years after that, all of a sudden the government's like, yeah, of course Area 51 exists. It's a real base. It's a real thing. And as a matter of fact, it's it was once like people started getting wind, like, oh, this is actually a real thing. And the government was just kind of like, man, yeah, of course. It's always been a real thing. Like, no, that's not what you were saying forever. But anyway, yeah. people tried to storm that base. There was like a Facebook petition for I people to that. go yeah. and storm the base. Like <laughs> – when I was a kid, it didn't even exist. Like, that's the only thing that made me start to believe that conspiracy theories do exist is because in my lifetime, there was a one that was shown, like everyone who believed it was crazy. And then decades later, it's like, oh, yeah, of course it's real. Like, what? What? When did you announce that it was real? <laughs> you just kind of like ease that in and thought no one would notice. Yeah, like, that's exactly what crazy it is. To me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I love a good conspiracy i try not to get too caught up i'm one of those people that i'll watch a conspiracy about something and i'll be like oh i believe it 100 percent." and then i'll watch the next one which is complete opposite and i'll go i believe that one 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. there's a movie called the shining have you ever seen the shining yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so there's a there's a whole movie documentary that is dedicated to just the conspiracy theories around that movie and it's called hey. room 237 and if you're ever bored and you want to watch a movie that is just about conspiracy theories about one subject, it's called Room 237, and it is it is interesting, to say the least. I'm, I'm going to write that down, too. Oh, I forget. Room 237. That sounds like a good one. That sounds like a really good one to watch. Yeah, some yeah. of the conspiracies are, like, way out there, and some of them you're like, I don't know. <laughs> like, you might have something there. Like, but those are the best. Those are the best conspiracy theories. The ones that have got something where you go, do you know what? I remember something that made me think about that once before. Those are the ones that get people going, ah, yeah, yeah, that sounds true. <laughs> it's strange. Like you hook people in with some them. people believe, you know, that some people believe that we've never ever launched anything into space. Yeah. Um, some people believe that we never actually put humans in space. Um, some people believe we were never at the moon. Some people actually believe that Stanley Kubrick, the guy who who directed The Shining, was yeah. the guy who actually was hired to stage and film the moon landing mm -hmm. in a studio. <laughs> like that's another conspiracy. In the I movie. didn't know that. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. No, I have heard that, but I think I think the thing for me is like you know that that would take so many hundreds of thousands of people to be in on it. That it's just not viable, so it can't. It's just no way. No, every single person ever involved would have to be in on it. Yeah, dude. Just look at how many celebrities have like mistresses that can't shut up. <laughs> like, you know <laughs> exactly. what I'm saying? Yeah, you can't get people to shut up. People have something they want to tell people. That's all there is yeah. to it, man. Exactly. You could just you couldn't keep something like that quiet. You just couldn't. Yeah, it's, it's dumbfounding to me. But, you know, it's like that's the that's kind of the fun part, man. It's like right now we have the Internet. So anytime we actually want to have a discussion about anything, you could literally have a person right there Googling everything you talk about. Or you can just let your imagination go and see where it leads. You know, that's the fun part about conspiracies is because conspiracies you can't prove or disprove. That's the fun yeah. part about it. 
And yeah. so like people can sit there and look up stuff on Google all day long about things that are factual, like, you know, but a, a theory, you can't look that up. You have to have a discussion. That's what's so mm -hmm. fun about them. Yeah. As soon as, as soon as aliens rock up on our front door one day, they just won't be interesting anymore <laughs> because we know they're real. <laughs> Everyone will be like, oh, well, okay, the fun's gone. That's been yeah. an interesting thing the government's been doing lately is alluding to alien existence. I feel yeah. like they're warming us up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. They keep dropping out these little clips of yeah. things. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's one way of looking at it. The other, the other thing I think when they start doing things like that is like, what have they done now that they're trying to stop us looking at? <laughs> what <laughs> that's did they also do? very much true. Who did they sleep with? Who yeah. did they steal stuff from? Who did they kill accidentally that they don't <laughs> want us to know about? <laughs> true. Like I, I, you know, one thing that you could be sure that the government is going to do to you is manipulate you. Uh, there, if there's nothing else that a government is good for, damn it, they manipulate well. They're so good yeah. at it. Yeah, and that's a nice thing that brings all our countries together because they're all the same. <laughs> <laughs> One day it'd be nice for all the countries just to get together and go, you know, these guys at the top suck. We should just redo this whole thing. Let's redo the yeah. structure here. Yeah, yeah let's day. do that. Uh, let's do that just, <laughs> just... <laughs> oh, we'll start it off the three of us you know when i went over to london i did a um actually it's one of the first major death threats i ever got was in london uh but i got hired to do a, a nunchuck seminar out there which was awesome it was like one of the first real like things i got hired to do because of mcdojo life and i was really yeah. excited they were like they paid for my flight in my hotel and they paid me for the seminar and uh but when i went over there like one of the things was you guys like in london there were so many protesters um because that was around the time that like brexit was starting to be like a really big deal and so yeah. there was like protesters everywhere everywhere yeah. i went um and i don't even know what the hell that was but it was just like that was what was going on, and it was just kind of interesting. I was like, "Oh man, all the all of us are the same. We all just hate the guys in charge. Like, <laughs> we can all relate." <laughs> Sue's, yeah. Sue, Sue's just started learning some nunchuck stuff, and she didn't know. Yeah. I, I've, I said to her that you you're you're actually graded in weapons arts. Am I right? Yeah, I'm a I'm a third degree black belt in something called Lissa Do, which is it's a weapon system not many people have heard of. If you want to look up my instructor, his name is Master Lee Barden. He passed away about two years ago, but um, he was considered one of the greatest um, that was alive at the time to, uh, with nunchucks. Um, they did a poll. They did an online poll one time uh, to see who the greatest nunchuck practitioners were. And uh, Bruce Lee was number one. Uh, because he obviously, if it wasn't for him, nunchucks wouldn't be nearly as popular yeah. as he was able to, to bring them to pop culture. Number two was Michelangelo from the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's not a real person. And uh, number three was Lee Barton. And uh, so oh, he, wow. he's, he considered himself number one because Michelangelo wasn't a real person and uh, uh, Lee, uh, Bruce Lee was passed. So he was like, hey, I'm the guy now. So, But I learned a lot from him, man. Like... Um, yeah, actually, these are were handmade from him. They were. Oh wow! Wow. Yeah. yeah, these are the only ones I use. They were handmade. They have a little stamp on the bottom that has his uh his little logo down there and stuff. It's pretty oh, cool. That's cool. Oh, that's awesome! Wow, that's very very cool. Mine were like eight pounds from Amazon, so <laughs> not, not not quite as not quite as as beautiful. But uh, I'm I've uh, just taken up um informally learning techo. 
and nunchucks, which is just awesome. Yeah, I love it. It's like uh, the system that I learned was all about binding mechanics and basically um, how to manipulate the we any weapon. Um, and you learned nunchucks first because they were one of the harder weapons to learn. Um, so if you can use a pair of nunchucks well, everything else became very simple. Um, and it really was true. Like um, because of the, the way you learn the system, uh, you learn about the lanes of attack and things like that. Very similar to like a Kali where you have your basic angles of attack one through five. Um, yeah. But it actually went to nine uh, angles of attack. And so but after I learned like how to use nunchucks well, everything else became easy to learn. I learned how to use bullwhips like that. Like once I learned how to use nunchucks, bullwhips became easy. Um, swords became easy. Everything became easy because nunchuck is like one of the only weapons that is guaranteed that you will hit yourself. Um, yes. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and I still do it every once in a while. I've been swinging nunchucks for 24 years now, and I love doing it. Um, but at the same time, it's like you're eventually going to hit yourself. It's just how it is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful skill to learn that I'm absolute beginner and I'm just I'm 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 loving it. So I'm gonna I'm just practicing all the time as much as I can, but I it's it's gonna take me a lifetime to get anywhere, I think. I think it depends on like I think instructors and work ethic determine skill. So like when you look at like an instructor and the instructor is like subpar instructor, he's not a good instructor, you're going to see subpar students. And it's not because the students aren't skillful. It's just because they're not learning very well, um, yeah. you know, and then if you have a great instructor, but you have people who don't have good work ethic, you're not going to get good students either. But if you have a good instructor and you have a good work ethic, you'll get good, you know. So, you know, right. just yeah, just stick with it, dude. Like put in the work, put in the time. Like when I was younger, um. I was when I first started uh, in karate, I was 12 and I saw my instructor swing nunchucks for the first time. And I was like, oh, my God, like I want to learn how to do that. That's pretty yeah. much how we do with most instructors. Right. <laughs> they either beat you up or they showed you something cool. And you're like, I want to be that guy. Um, yeah. And so I watched him swing nunchucks and he had like an instructional VHS set. That's how old I am. Uh, but he had an instructional VHS set, and I wanted them so bad, but they were really expensive because they were the actual curriculum. So yeah. it was like his entire system was in four VHSs, um, and I was like, I want to learn how to do that. So I worked and I saved up uh, all summer. I worked a, a job side on the side to be able to get to save up. And then after I had all of these, I took a TV. I put it in my backyard after I broke every bit of furniture that I had in my room. I broke the lights, I broke the fan, I broke a TV. I had a brand new bedroom set that was just welted up from all these nicks that I put in there from the nunchucks. And then finally, my mom, she was like, yo, you got to take this outside. Like, if I see you swing these again, I will throw them away when you are not looking. Um, and so I, from then on out, I took it outside. But I set up an extension cord, took that TV outside, and every day, four hours a day, as soon as I got off of school, I was practicing nunchucks until I went to karate. Every day. It never failed. I, I did it so much my hands would bleed. But, man, I, I just – it's a skill that I really enjoy. It's fun. And I put them down for years. I didn't swing nunchucks because um, I was doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So that was where my focus mm. was. But yeah. then because I was doing the gi, my hands were cramping horribly because of the gi. My fingers were yeah. constantly getting snatched. And I picked up nunchucks after that for giggles just for fun swinging the nunchucks and i realized that it was helping my dexterity in my hands again like my hands weren't hurting anymore because i was using my fingers and my hands for the nunchucks and so i picked them back up you know just because that was helping me for something else 
never gonna fight somebody with one of these. I was like, that'd be dumb. No one sits by that guy on the bus. You know, you get on a bus, you got a pair of these <laughs> sitting out in your back pocket. You know, nobody's going to sit by you. That's the weird guy. But they are handy for other things. You know, hand-eye coordination, dexterity, you know, cognitive abilities. They help with a lot. Yeah, for sure. They do. They do. And we've, we've said many times that not just the um, fitness that you do, but the other skills that you do, if they all talk to each other, and they all work together. You get a lot of benefit from different things in your life that you do. Yeah, for sure. Like I don't, I never quite understood why all martial arts hate all other martial arts. It's like I'm a box, I'm a boxer. Try to bring that karate crap in here. I'll beat you up or knock you out. Like people hate on Taekwondo if they're not in Taekwondo. But if you're in Taekwondo, you don't like jujitsu because jujitsu is gay. Like you don't like wrestling because you're wearing leotards. Like you know, everybody <laughs> hates on everybody else. Yeah, but the it's thing true. is, is that each one of those arts has a different puzzle piece to make you a, what I would consider a complete martial artist. They all have different lessons to learn. They all have different ways of training. They all have different things that are of value. Um, even in learning what not to do, there is value in that. You know, And I think that when you see people who point the finger and go, that's useless or that's worthless, there might be missing something. Like when I look at, uh, for instance, the art that I hate, Kyoshu Jitsu. I, that, that art in itself is a lie. It's a con. But there is value in it. The value is is showing people how easily people can be manipulated. There's value in understanding that those people are very good at brainwashing people. There's value in that. Now, whether or not I particularly like what they're teaching doesn't mean that I'm not seeing the value in the things that maybe not be the might not be the best. But again, if it wasn't for an art like that that stands out as the fraud, it'd be really hard to have a baseline of what is and what is not real. You know, yeah. like over here you have like, okay, this is fake. You can't knock people out with your mind, right? And then over here you have like full contact guys, Navy SEALs, special forces operators, guys who have to kill people for a living that really are doing things that have to be effective. Most operators that I know are Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts or trained in something similar or Muay Thai, but at the end of the day, you have this drastic differences. If it wasn't for these frauds, we would not be able to spot fraud so easily. Yeah, that's true. Speaking, to, I'm gonna, speaking of frauds and, and stuff, did you ever watch Mind, Body, and Kick-Ass Moves? Have you heard <laughs> of that? I have heard of that. It, now, I, if I remember correctly, there was an episode where the guy went, if I remember correctly, to Indonesia, and the guy who was there did the Tanaga Dalam around his arm, and then the guy took out a machete and trapped himself in the arm, thinking that yes. it would not stop him, and then he actually just cut himself because that's what would happen if you cut yourself with a machete. Yeah. I, the, I've, I've got the DVD somewhere, because when I was a kid, I loved this show. It was, And... Um... Uh, Hatsumi is on there. He's featured on there. That's where it, it reminded me when you mentioned him. I'll, <laughs> I'll dig it out and I'll I'll rip it to the computer and I'll send it to you because I think you'll find some good stuff in there. Oh, definitely. I about. remember there was one where a guy was getting kicked in the groin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's a weird one. one where they're hanging stuff from the groin. There's there's all kinds of stuff in there. Yeah, man. Pulling a truck with his groin. It's some weird stuff, but... You know, eventually what I'd like to do is, like, we just got done filming a documentary about fakes, frauds, and phonies in the martial arts. I was going to ask you about that, yeah. Um, we're editing it currently, but, you know, we probably have enough for, like, maybe a docu-series. 
But I mean, I'd love to turn that into a show. I'd love to just go to these places where these con men are and challenge their belief structures. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm what I would consider a violent pacifist. I'm mostly pacifist, mostly until it's time not to be, (laughs) you know, like I have no problem hurting somebody who's trying to hurt me. I just don't like hurting people in general. But Mm -hmm. when it comes down to like uh, these people and their belief structures, you can actually challenge that on a scientific level. During the documentary, we got to talk with the James Randi Foundation. And uh, James Randi is a very famous magician who spent his entire life with uh, – it started off as a $10,000 check, and I think it wound up being a million-dollar check. And he walked around with that in his pocket, and anybody that could prove they had supernatural abilities, he would sign the check and hand it over to them. Oh, and he, wow. Yeah, he died with that check in his pocket because – there weren't any that he could mm. see that could be yeah. actually proven. He put absolutely every one of these people on stage, put it on a test, and said, all right, you think you can move something with your mind. Let me see you do it. He'd watch them do it. And then as a magician, he would have an idea of how the trick was done, and then he would call them out. And he'd say, okay, well, I'm going to add something to the equation to see if you can still do it. And mm. uh, one of the most famous ones, we actually interviewed this guy for our documentary. His name is James Heydrich. And James Heydrich was one of those dudes back in the 1970s. He was considered the world's greatest psychic. Um, <laughs> and uh, he he made people believe. He had like 3,000 students in his heyday. He had a, a actual airplane hangar that his dojo was in. That's how big his wow. classes were. Um, but he went on stage uh, for some show with Bob Barker. He moved the pages of a book. Like just moved oh, I've the pages seen this. Yeah, I think I've seen seamless. this. Yeah. And James Heydrich was like, I think I know how he does it. So he takes packaging peanuts and puts them around the book and has them do it again. But the guy can't do it. Well, because he was just blowing air, right? Mm. Shortly after that, James Heydrich gets busted for molesting five children. He winds up getting a plea deal and gets put in a mental institution. Fast forward to us making our documentary. We're doing our uh, pre-production meeting. And I was like, I'd love to get James Heydrich, but he's dead. And somebody's like, I don't think he's dead. I was like, really? He goes, yeah, let me look him up. Come to find out he was in the mental institution only an hour away from our production studio. Oh, wow. And so we interviewed him for the film. We we were able – we were given permission by the state to interview him for our, our film, and we brought him on not to poke at him but to bring him on as a subject matter expert because no one knows how to con people better than the world's greatest. Um, yeah. And so he gave us all kinds of information. He was like, I don't agree with the things that he's done in his life. He also had a very rough life. At one point when he was a child, he was literally tied to a tree and called the dog. Um, And they left him on the tree. They fed him like a dog. They treated him this way. This man was severely abused to get to where he was. So I'm not justifying the things that he did as an adult, but I can see where the path led him that way. Yeah, yeah. I feel bad for the dude. I don't feel bad for his actions. Um, and so he does. I truly believe in my heart he deserves to be in that hospital. Um, he is a diagnosed psychopath. Um, you know, he does. He's diagnosed pedophile. You know, this this man is sick. But at the same time, he came on and I have to give him credit. And he was willing to allow us to interview him as a guy who was a famous con man to help us help people understand 
what to look for and how not yeah. to be caught by people. So no matter what he did in his life, I have to give him credit for at least the one good thing that he did. And I think that that's about as good as he could have possibly done from where he is. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That sounds like that's going to be incredibly interesting. When's that? It's going to be a really interesting documentary. When is that coming out? Um, right now we're in the editing process, which kind of sucks because we had such a tight budget. The production <laughs> studio only had, we we actually allotted three months. Um, so we only had three months to do it. Well, we kept getting so much content, we filmed for three months. We were only supposed to film for a month, edit for another month, and then be done. Well, we filmed for three <laughs> Not expecting us to be able to get some of the people that we were able to get. Um, yeah. And I would mention who those people are, but we actually have one more interview that we're trying to do. So I don't want to mess up that interview, but it's somebody no, yeah, that's also very big. Um, but yeah, so we're doing this documentary and the ultimate goal is to try to educate people on what to look for and how to make better decisions. What questions to ask, uh, what red flags to look for, all based on other people's experiences. Uh we did an interview with a group of three people, and that group of three people that we interviewed were all involved in the same martial arts cult. Hey, look, here it is. A, a guy sent me this randomly years ago. It's called The True Believers, and okay. the, the preface here says, a powerful and engaging testimony to the social mechanics of a martial arts cult. This guy was in a cult and wrote a book about it, and it was a martial arts cult. Oh, wow. so, okay. We interviewed him for our documentary and two other people who were also involved in the cult. And, man, it was crazy. A dude literally burned his car for the insurance money to be able to pay to go to martial arts classes. A guy was told by the group who had a brand new baby. He had a brand new baby. And the group told him, he complained, he was like, man, you know, the kid's taking up all my time. You know, I'm not able to train as much. And the group told him he should leave his wife and brand new baby so he could train more. Um, you know, the, the, there was rape that was going on inside the cult. Um, it was, there was their own lingo, their own language. They, there was a lot of things that are everything that is a cult. This was a cult. Um, and it's just... Again, when people think about cults, they do not think about martial arts having that ability to be a cult, mm. but it can be. <laughs> it it can be very easily turned into a cult. Yeah, we even talked to that. a um. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. I just I was just agreeing, saying yeah, I can totally see how that could happen. So easy to get the whole devotion thing going on really easily. I can see how that could escalate. Yeah, it's, and it already has a lot of the symptoms. And we actually do something in the we, – we talk about religion, martial arts, and cults. It's the three things that we talk about the, mo the most, and, and we're not disparaging any of them. We're just trying to show people how closely they are connected. Yeah. And just look at – here's an example. Look at a Catholic mass. I don't know if any of you have ever been to a Catholic mass or not, but if you look at a Catholic mass and you look at going to a martial arts class, there are – they're almost identical. I, I can I can give it to you this way, right? When you walk into a martial arts school, there are two places that you might bow. Some places have you bow at the door, and some places have you bow at the mat. If you go to a Catholic mass, you there are places two places where you might uh, bless yourself. I don't know exactly what that's called, but you might dip your finger in the holy water and do it before you walk to the pews, which is right there in the front before you're allowed to walk forward to the pews, or 
You might do it, kneel at the pew, and then do it, right? Well, that's the equivalent, kind of the equivalent of bowing. It's yeah, a, it's a yeah, ritual yeah, yeah. you do. The next thing is, in a martial arts class, everyone's on one side of the room, and the instructor is on the other side of the room by himself teaching you, so that way everyone can see. In a Catholic mass, everyone is sitting on one side of the room looking at one person giving the lesson, the doing the sermon. Yeah. Behind It gets even weirder. Behind the preacher, priest, whatever he may be, behind him is typically a statue or stained glass or art of Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. Behind your instructor is typically on the wall a picture of the master that came before. And then you typically, in most dojos, you pay respect by bowing to that picture before you start. In Catholic Mass, you have a, a, a start before the, the ceremony begins. There's a point in a Catholic Mass in which you go, everybody stands up, and they shake each other's hands, and they go, peace be with you, and with you, and peace be with you, and with you. In a martial arts class, you do that when the class is over. Everybody walks up. We shake each other's hands. Good job. Good class. Right? It wouldn't take much for you to take either one of those and turn that into a cult. Because there's already these things in place, these systems in place that basically are telling you to bow down before other people before you ever start. Everything is about that guy or that girl. Everything is about those people. They are the mm -hmm. reason you came. You came to listen to what they had to say, right? Well, what happens if one of those people just decided this is no longer going to be for the benefit of you. This is going to be for the benefit of me. And I already have all these systems in place in which I can brainwash you quite easily. Um, uh, I, I might go off on a little tangent. I know I've been talking a lot, but no, carry um, on. have you guys ever heard of something called the five objections? No. Is this a sales uh, overcoming uh, objections in sales? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So, um, the five objections are the five things that people tell you rather than saying the word no. People actually hate conflict. They don't like confronting people. So usually in sales, the one word that you will rarely hear, rarely, is the word no. You will hear these things instead. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I have to think about it. I have to talk to my spouse or it's too far away. These are the five most common objections. When you walk into, true, yeah. <laughs> well, when you walk into a martial arts school or a gym, what happens is your job first is to sell them. If they can't be a student, if they don't sign the paperwork. So how do you get them sold? Well, you have to get past those five objections and you can actually do it like that. And it's a form of brainwashing that you can use for the betterment of the person. Like let's say for instance, a doctor told them, hey, you have to lose 75 pounds or you will die. Like, well, <laughs> I have to go and I have to convince this person to come here so I can save their life, <laughs> right? Well, that's a hard road because it took them a long time of bad habits to get 75 pounds overweight. So yeah. how do I do that? Well, I have to use technique like anything else. As a matter of fact, we can do an exercise real fast and absolutely any martial arts studio who does this, their sales percentages will go up drastically. Go for it. You wanna go try it? it? All right, yeah. Cool. So yeah, let's do it. Super duper simple. All right, so a couple things to preface this with, this experiment. We'll just go with you, Sue, because you have heard this before. So um, a couple things to preface this with. We don't cold call in martial arts. So I'm not going to have an aggressive person right off the bat because you called me. <laughs> You're already wanting the product that I'm selling. It's up to yeah. me to lose the sale. So that's an important preface. 
Um, but anyway, let's say you walk through the front door of my martial arts studio. Um, if I've done my job correctly, we've already spoken on the phone. I already know your name and I'm already prepared for you to be there. As a matter of fact, if it's my school, I prepared for you to be there 30 minutes before anybody even arrives because I want to make sure that I take the time to hear what medical issues you may or may not have and get to know you a little bit so that way when you get on the mat, I know you're not going to just randomly haul off and punch a random person in the face. <laughs> so, um, But we'll start off this way. I, hey, how's it going, Sue? Yeah, good. I'm okay, thank you. You? <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> Living the dream. It's nice to meet you. Are you are you coming from home or work? Uh, home. Oh, that's cool. So what do you do for a living? Um, I work as a PA. Oh, that's cool. What is that? <laughs> oh, well, like a personal assistant to somebody who uh, who works in a charity. Oh, that's cool. Well, what made you want to do martial arts? Um, I just like the idea of it, really. You know, I've seen some, I don't know, I guess I've seen some TV and I just I just really like the idea of it. I've, it's something I've been thinking about doing for years. Oh, wow. You've been thinking about this for years. <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about it. I never, you know, I never really done anything about it. But yeah, I, I like the idea of it. Oh, that's cool. Well, do you have the support of other people to be here, like your your spouse or your your friends or family? Or are they encouraging you to do this? No, no one knows I'm here, actually. Oh, really? Oh, man. You've been thinking about this for years. You never talked to them about this? No. Oh, man. No. Well, congratulations on being able to make it out here. OK, so that's good. Um, so what are your goals? What do you want to accomplish? Um, I don't know. I just I would um. I would I would just like to be good at this, I suppose. But I, I don't really know enough about it. I would just like to be good at it. I would like to be fit. Um, I think I'd like to have self-confidence. Okay, that's cool. Well, just to know your expectations, how long do you think it's going to take for you to be good at this? Oh, I have no idea. Um, a couple of years. Okay, so it's not weeks. <laughs> All right, just making sure. We want to, we want good expectations. We don't want to, like, you know, go, I'm going to be Chuck Norris in a week because it's not going to happen. Um, but that's cool. That's a good baseline. That's awesome. Um, so we have a schedule here. As a matter of fact, here's our schedule. I just want to kind of show you before I give you a tour and kind of explain how everything works. If this is something that you really enjoy, we have classes around this exact same time, Monday through Sunday. How many days a week do you think you might be able to come? Um, a couple. Two days. Oh, a couple, two, three. That's that's about standard. So a few times a week. That's awesome. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a tour of the facility. And then after that, I'm going to introduce you. I'll have you fill out a little paperwork, but I'm going to introduce you to somebody who's in our class and they'll be working with you. It's somebody I trust. And it's an assistant here and they'll be your partner for today to kind of guide you through the class. Once class is over, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to just meet me back over here at the front desk. And if it's something you enjoy, I'll show you how to get a couple discounts on today. Um, that way you can become a member and, you know, we can get you closer to being able to be, uh, you know, kicking ass. <laughs> oh, sounds good. Thank you. All right, so let's just talk about a couple things and break down the conversation. So this is the opposite of hard sales tactics. Um, what what people fuck? I'm sorry. What people mess up with okay. when it comes to hard sales tactics is they actually mess up because they never actually mention money. That's a hard sales tactic. A good sales tactic is to mention money at least four times before we actually ever bring that up to the table with a contract. If you called me, I should let you know that, hey, we have a great first day special. And if you'd like, um, you know, if you enjoy the class, that'll be available for you. Um, I should also let you know to bring a form of payment, your first class. And I should do that several times. That's not me hard selling you. That's me telling you the truth. 
So by the time we actually bring up the money, it's not an awkward thing, which is where most people mess up in sales. They don't ever mention it, and then all of a sudden you did all this class, and we pretended money doesn't exist, and then all of a sudden money comes out on the table. That comes off as wrong. But um, let's just knock out a few. One, why can't you tell me um, – one, you can't tell me it's too far away. Why? Because you've told me – oh, you asked me if I was uh, coming from home or work. Exactly. So you can no longer use that excuse, right? So we're, yeah. we knocked off that objection, all right? Mm, why can't you tell me you have to think about it? Um, because I told you I've been thinking about this for years. Exactly. Um, why can't you tell me you don't have time? Because I just told you I could do this twice a week. Exactly. And money. The reason money won't be an issue is because I'm letting you know that it will be cheapest today. It will never be as cheap today other than today. That's why it's called a first day special. So when we talk about this, this is something that I'll make sure I reiterate, which takes time. But you can no longer say, well, it's too expensive because if that's the case, one, you would never show up because you couldn't afford to show up anyway. Um, two, people buy shit that they can't afford all the time anyway. People buy cars. You can't afford the whole car. What do you do? You make payments on the car. You can't afford the house. What do you do? You make payments on the house, <laughs> right? What do you do yeah. when you can't afford something? You buy it anyway if you want it. So it's up to yeah. me to make sure that you continue to enjoy it. But it will never be more – it will never be cheaper than today. And so that's also important. But the last yeah. thing is something that you kind of were kind of tiptoeing around is the only last thing that would be an objection for you is I have to talk to my spouse, which – by the way, would be very extremely strange and most likely probably not something that would ever occur because they would probably wonder where you are for the next last three hours of your life. <laughs> so like not telling your spouse that you didn't go anywhere for three hours is most likely never going to happen. I've never had that happen. It just happened to happen in our hypothetical situation. But typically when you ask people if they have the support of their family to reach their goals, they almost always say yes. No mm -hmm. one wants their family to seem like assholes. <laughs> so if i asked you like and let's say your goal was hey i want to lose 50 pounds well i say oh well your family supports you in losing 50 pounds right you go, oh yeah, yeah of course you know uh, you want to learn how to defend yourself okay cool your family supports that decision right oh yeah then you can no longer tell me you have to talk to them about it you already told me they to support your decision yeah and so um what happens with most martial arts schools is they treat sales like this evil entity that they should never learn. It makes no sense because in martial arts, we dedicate our entire career to one dude. <laughs> like We'll be under one instructor for years. And as a matter of fact, we'll be proud to say we're under that instructor. Like I have a black belt under Hicks and Gracie. You know, I have a black belt mm -hmm. under Fumio Demora. All right, cool. So you were proud of that. But then when you decided to open up your school, you decided that you were just going to wing it. <laughs> That'd be like the equivalent of the guy who comes into your school who's like, oh, I fight in the streets. We all laugh at that guy. Why? Because we know he's never been trained. We, yeah. But for some reason in the martial arts industry, we don't bold-faced laugh at the guy who's opening up the school who has no clue what he's doing. Mm. And this is actually to me what actually breeds McDojos is rather than learning technique on how to be legitimate and honest with your students, you wing it and then you hope – that people show up. You hope people buy it. Well, I can make the best pizza in the world and I can sit it on my kitchen table and no one's going to buy that piece of pizza because I didn't learn how to sell it. I didn't advertise it. I didn't learn how to advertise for it. 
And so it's the same thing with martial arts schools. You can have the best technique in the world, but if you suck at sales, no one's going to know about it. You will help no one. You will benefit no one. You will teach no one. And then your school will fail and you will get a nine to five job and we will have one less great instructor in the world because they couldn't put their ego aside to say, you know what? I don't know this. Maybe I should learn it. And um, to me, that's the real McDojo is the people who are too prideful to admit they don't know something and to reach out for the help that they really need so we can have more good martial arts schools, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That was very good, by the way. That was that was that was a very nice introduction to your class. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to being there. I'll be around on Thursday. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just a shame because usually when you hear the term McDojo, that almost always, almost, not all the time, I'm trying to change that narrative, but it almost always goes to somebody who's financially successful. Mm. And that's a shame. Yeah. Um, as a as a martial artist, you should be financially successful. Martial arts industry is not, does not have a lot of money. It has a lot of ego, but there's not a lot of money in it. I went yeah. to this thing called Shot Show, and Shot Show is the world's biggest gun expo. It's like huge, and it's in Las Vegas. Um, I went, and there's everything you could possibly think of in terms of firearms. There are classes, just tons of classes. There are people who are uh, concealed carry experts. There are people, self-defense instructors. Every little piece of every little gun you could possibly think of, there is a company dedicated to just that piece, right? And it's huge. It's a massive expo. It lasts an entire week. And I walked around that thing, and they, they tell you before you go, you cannot see everything. That, and you're there for a week. They said if you stopped at every booth and talked to everyone, you will not meet everyone in a week you would have that's how big this expo is but then i went there and i was dumbfounded i'm blown away by how how huge this was and how organized everyone was and even if people hated each other they would put that aside because they were all on the same page when it came to second amendment rights or gun ownership when it came when it comes to the martial arts industry go to the martial arts super show which is our biggest expo you can walk around that thing in five minutes. You can meet everyone in 10. And that's sad. The martial arts industry has been around for hundreds of years, hundreds of years before the gun industry was around. Yeah. And yet the gun industry figured out how to make money and be on the same page about one thing. And the martial arts industry, everyone's broke and complaining about everyone else. That's ridiculous. And that's all because of ego. People who are trying to be better than other people bet, rather than realizing, hey, man, we're all in this together. We're all trying to learn the arts together. It's not jujitsu and karate and taekwondo. Put all that aside for a second and think mm-hmm. we all have individual goals and we're all trying to reach those goals through martial arts. One person might be joining martial arts simply because they want to lose weight. They could care less if they are effective martial artists. We had a guy with cerebral palsy. And our jiu-jitsu academy, actually two, um, but one of the gentlemen with cerebral palsy, he had canes on his arms, and he had to use the canes to walk into class. And he would put the canes to the side, and he'd get on the mat when we would bow in, and he would collapse because he could not hold himself up because his legs were affected by the disease mm. or the condition. And one day I went over to him, and I said, hey, man, when we bow in, you don't have to start standing because he would just fall. 
I'd be like, you can start on your knees and you can bow in that way. That's that's not a problem. And he goes, no. He goes, my only goal is I want to walk up when it's time for me to get my blue belt. I want to have it in my hand. I want to bow on my own and walk back. That was wow. his only goal. And when he got his blue belt, he actually did do that. So I got a little teary when that happened. That's like, yeah, that, I bet. he really did. But like he was shaking and he was struggling to walk and it took him a while to get up there. But he did that. And I think in our head, we project onto our students what our goals are and we tend to forget what other people's are. We tend to go, well, that's bullshit because it's not effective in the street. Well, is it effective for other things? Is it effective to help that guy who didn't have confidence who needed it? And as long as it's not false confidence, it's good, right? Is it effective on helping that dude lose weight? Is it effective on getting this person friends? Is it effective on giving this person a mentor who gives a shit about them? These are all things we forget because we're so trapped in does this work and is this effective? And that's, again, such a small portion of what we do. And when we take a step back and we really look at that, all you're really left with is ego. And it's the one thing we all talk about in martial arts about getting rid of, but it's the one thing we hold on to like it's our best friend. Like, we got to get rid of that shit. That's the real toxicity in the martial arts is everyone thinking that they're better than everyone else. And that's just bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's amazing the way that you've put that. Thank you ever so much for that because it's that it's that level of getting rid of ego which is almost impossible to do anyway. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an essential part of our makeup as as humans. We have it, you know. So it, it's in order to reduce it, you have to get rid of judgment. Yeah, that kind sure. of that critical judgment thing, rather than accepting that everyone does things for different reasons, and that's great allow that to happen rather than judging it and you do actually then reduce a bit of ego don't you i hope (laughs) (laughs) i I have a weird like i come from a weird job like my particular job would seem like i might have opposite opinions than what i do i mean i literally call out frauds for a living but i think where i draw the line is i have five very specific rules of my page and i follow them um because i hope that when i die Maybe that will be the impact that I'm able to make on the community or on the world. And they're very simple rules. They're not hard to follow. And most of them, if you don't follow them, are illegal, right? So, like, rule one is pedophilia. I don't think pedophiles have any business, way, shape, or form teaching a martial arts class or being around children. Um, That's rule one. And I think that's a rule that no matter what martial art we do, we can all agree that maybe pedophiles shouldn't be around kids. (laughs) You know? Sure. Um, You know, rule two is no touch knockouts or um, uh, it's no touch knockouts, but also mislabeling technique. So if you go to a cardio kickboxing class, they shouldn't be telling you you're going to learn how to be the best kickboxer in the world. That's mislabeling. Mm -hmm. That's false information. You know, but if they tell you you'll lose weight and maybe you'll learn a couple punches and kicks, okay, that's fair. That's the truth. You know, so and obviously you can't knock people out with your mind, right? But that's also mislabeling technique. It's telling people that they could do something that they can't possibly do. You know, mm-hmm. um, the other one is cult-like behavior or shady. Um, cult-like behavior um, is something that you see pretty much everywhere. Um, you'll see this in jujitsu, you'll see this in karate, you'll see this in taekwondo, where they'll try to control or manipulate you outside of the classroom. That's cult-like behavior. You're not allowed to go train with that guy. Mm. Why? Yes. <laughs> like, I'm paying you yeah. for a service, boss. I'll do what yeah. I want. You know, when yeah. I leave, you don't get to tell me what to do. 
That's um, a very big one. You know, um, another rule is shady business practices. Um, shady business practices are things like uh, I saw one instructor actually strong arm his students who were late for payment. He would literally go to their houses, knock on their door and threaten them with physical harm if they did not pay him on time. Or you'll see the other one a little bit more often where people will add a bunch of hidden fees to things mm -hmm. um, where you go to a martial arts class and they tell you this is how much you're paying. But they don't tell you that you're going to have to pay for belt testings. They don't tell you that when you move up in a program that it will cost you more. They don't tell you that whenever you move up into a program you have to get new equipment or equipment that is specific for that program. Um, those are That's shady. You should be upfront about all that and let people make their own decisions. Um, and then um, I'm trying to remember the last one. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, yeah, that's pretty much the main ones, I guess. You know, pedophilia, no-touch knockouts, shady business. Oh, lying about your belt rank and fight record. So mm -hmm. the, that's, that, those are the rules, and I think a couple of those kind of went together. I think it was like unsafe training practices and cult-like behavior go together. Um, you know, obviously unsafe training practices are when somebody, um, you know, usually I have these written out before I talk about them, so I apologize if it sounds like there's yes, more than five. There's only five, uh, but – Unsafe training practices like having an instructor hit you with a stick because you didn't do something correctly, um, which I've seen overseas is really bad. I saw a dude break off a stick. He broke a stick on an eight-year-old's back because the kid didn't wow. do it right. Then he took the stick and threw it across the room and made the kid go pick it up. I saw a movie tie instructor years ago cracking students in the head because they weren't doing things correctly. Um, that's that's not safe, you know, or sparring on concrete without headgear. I've seen way too many people die because of that. Way too many people get knocked out accidentally, hit their head on the concrete, and die. You know, that's that's unsafe, and people call that real training. It's not real training. Yeah. That's a real way to die. Um, yeah, it is. It is. There's no need to, to get concussion in a fractured skull every single time you want to practice something. Is Getting a fractured skull is not good practice for training in the street. Yeah, exactly. Not, it's, there's, it's, there's no need for that. <laughs> You know, um, but, you know, if somebody's also willing to lie about their belt rank or their fight record, they'll lie about anything. That's the tip of the iceberg. So yeah. those people are very hard to trust. But, you know, those are the rules. That's it. I just follow yeah. those rules. I look online. I find things that break those rules and I post them. You know, it's a I don't care what style people do. I don't care yeah. what art they do. I don't care if a technique doesn't really work. What I care about is will that technique get someone hurt or killed if they yeah. tried it? You know, like some things are just goofy. They're low percentage. Maybe they do or maybe they don't work. But will someone die or be seriously injured if they tried that? That's different. Yeah. That means yeah. that something was mislabeled. You know, someone was told this is self-defense. When it's not, you could get seriously hurt or killed. Well, one of the things we were talking about in class the other day, Sue, was the video that you, you did a video on it um, a while back is the Krav Maga guy with a gun to his front and a knife to his back. And... um yeah, we were talking about that in class and, and how he walks off at the end. This might save your life one day. And you think that video has millions of views. Now, either people are watching it to take the piss out of it or people are watching it to try and get some real advice, which is is worrying there's stuff like that out there. Well, most people who watch that kind of stuff are watching because they want legit advice, which is mm. the sad part. The martial arts yeah. community actually isn't very big. Um, 
a lot of people aren't seeking out punching each other in the face as a hobby for some reason. Um, so there's not a t- like the martial arts community is always going to be a lot tighter knit because it is a very physical, d- physically demanding thing. It, it requires a lot of discipline. It requires a lot of time and effort and energy. And most people don't really want that, to be honest. They just want to live life and be happy. Like, and so yeah. most people will just go pick up a bridge game or play D&D. You know, it takes a select few people. Oh, also the average martial artist drops out at about a year, year and a half anyway. So yeah. most people who go into martial arts, they don't even last a year. They quit eventually. Um, so the odds are that most people who watch that kind of stuff are watching because they're hoping to get some good advice. And yeah. Those are the worst. Those are the true worst McDojos ever because they're coming to you from what people would consider reputable sources like Marie Claire did one where they – excuse me. They hired a fitness model. Fitness model knew no martial arts whatsoever, made it all up, admitted to me in a conversation that she made it all up and didn't know what she was doing. But that got millions of views and people were like, oh, man, I love this. I got to practice this at home, Mm. you know? Um, uh, Tech Insider, uh, which is a subsidiary of Business Insider, they did one where they hired a lady, um, and she taught horrific self-defense. She was talking about if someone was mounted on you to wiggle your hips, and that will hit the person in the groin and make them fall off of you. No, no, it won't. I've been doing jiu-jitsu for like <laughs> nine years. I got to tell you, in the nine years I've done jiu-jitsu, the one injury I have had the least amount ever was actually groin injuries, right? It's very difficult to hit someone in the groin when they're just sitting on you. There's no space. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's just that kind of stuff. Is, or five-minute crafts is another one that gets to me. You're a crafts page. Do crafts. Make the origami puppet. Make the Show me how to sew, right? Show me something that has to do with crafts. But then they'll put on these clickbaity things, five self-defense tips everyone should oh, know. Yeah, and it's like stuff. a pressure point on the bicep and the guy falls over. You know, it's like people watch that stuff and they they're not educated in what's going on. So they assume that this page would not lie to them. But the truth is, is they they were just doing it for views. And even worse, they could afford to hire somebody who legitimately knows what they're doing. Yeah. One of the pages we love is um, Fight Perfect or not Fight Perfect. They're Fight Bible. Is it Fight Bible now, Sue? It is Fight Bible. Yeah. Um yeah i actually like um, those guys a lot as well yeah they're brilliant they they do videos where they go right we're going to take these five women's self-defense techniques and we're going to pressure test them and they they're great because they never work <laughs> that's always pretty funny like it's always ridiculous when you see people who are putting that kind of stuff together and they're like oh man this is great i love those dudes by the way um, yeah. They used to they used to be fight perfect, I think. Yeah, fight and perfect. Then yeah. They got demonetized from YouTube, and then they became fight Bible now. Um, yeah. But you know, internet's sensitive, <laughs> so you have to be careful. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad they're they're growing. You know, it's one of the gentlemen it was a former UFC fighter. Yeah. yeah the yeah, other one, you know, yeah. runs uh you know runs a martial arts school. They're they're both very well knowledgeable in what they're talking about. Yeah. And I, I like seeing pages like that. Guys like Ramsey Dewey, you know, yeah, in China. Dewey, yeah. um, who else? Do, I see Mike from Hard to Hurt. Um, yeah. Who else does stuff like that? I mean, they, they're, they're good people trying to make sure that people are educated in a way, in a realistic way. And let, let's just be honest. Most of us who do that particular line of work of calling out frauds, we're kind of gruff <laughs> and very to the point. And we might not be as couth 
are well-spoken when it comes to calling these people out, but we're honest. And I think that people might be turned off a little bit by the gruffness, but I think that people are so used to being lied to that when you tell them the truth, it sounds disrespectful. You know, it's like it's it's, it's a weird dynamic between people who watch and they've seen martial arts their entire life on TV. And then when you tell them the truth, they're like, oh, you're just hating. Like, no, I'm trying to help you, stupid. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, yeah. I want you to be better so you don't die. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Well, when I look at their stuff, you know, I, I, I'm looking at it from someone who's, you know, genuinely trying to understand just the most basic move that I've seen in jujitsu, just the most basic one to understand how to get through the next class where we're doing just some beginning stuff. And I love it because they'll say, okay, so this is what it looks like. Now let's change the angle and I'll show you that my hand goes here. My other hand, do you know what I mean? They break it down so you can see it from every angle, exactly what happens next move by move and that is that is what you want it doesn't care how gruff or couth <laughs> you know it does it doesn't matter what matters is that it's really clear makes yeah. all the difference in the world i think the i think that the at the end of the day good instruction just boils down to honesty that's yeah. that, that's all that's really required to be a good instructor you know there are guys like john donna here john donna yeah. here is probably if he probably is the best jujitsu coach on the planet right now. His yeah. team, the way that they perform, the the community that he was able to build, uh, of the legacy that he was able to build, and somebody like Gordon Ryan, Nikki mm-hmm. Rod, uh, Nikki Ryan, um, all those guys are so talented. But it all boils down to they they sought out a very specific instructor who the way that he puts things is very clear. And what's really interesting is he himself has never competed. Um, Mm. And so that kind of blows my mind when you think about it. But then when you look at some of the best coaches, there are coaches who might not necessarily have been the best, but they are good communicators. And that's what created a good team. Uh, Freddie Roach is another great example. Freddie Mm. Roach did box, but he wasn't the greatest boxer on the planet, but he's probably one of the best boxing coaches alive even yeah. with parkinson's which is very impressive well it's the same with john Donahoe. he's he's got massive knee problems that he's had and he's still he's created some of the best leg lockers in the game which is insane <laughs> yeah yeah, so would, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's superb well we've we've got We've got loads. I've got loads of people there that I can use to go and look up. Look up. And we'll put links to all of this, a load of this stuff as well, in the um, in the description of this episode when this one goes out as well. So that's really awesome. Yeah, I, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. I, I love talking shop. Sometimes I get long winded, but uh, you know, I just I, when so I get good. on a subject, I can go forever. So I don't know if you've seen any of it or heard any of our other podcasts, but you know, we're we're coming in a just just under average right now. So this is this is great. Yeah. <laughs> and most no, we, of them go like a, a, a long while so it doesn't matter whatever you've got time for is good yeah, yeah man well, we i appreciate, appreciate you having me on, on. Yeah, yeah, man, it, was, it was a good do. time. I love talking shop. Yeah. Thank well, you. before we go, we we always ask people, um, like uh, we have a couple of uh, questions that we just like to ask everyone. Uh, we love to ask everyone what their um, favorite martial arts movies are. Oh, dude. Oh, man. I, can go on. Uh, <laughs> I, can, I, honestly, bet I bet you've got quite the list. <laughs> uh, oh, dude. I love, I love cheesy martial arts movies. My yes. favorite are just really cheesy um, and my personal favorite is Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Um, 
it, it has a lot of little gems in that movie. Uh, a young Ernie Reyes Jr. is in that movie. He's like maybe six years old, seven years old. Um, you know, like you get the guy who played Shonuff in that movie, and he uh, he's actually he went on to like do like be a great actor. Like you watch that movie, you would never think that this dude's a good actor. But then like <laughs> he was just being corny. That was like the whole point. You know, mm-hmm. like Ty Mock is like the main character, like the main character in that movie. And that dude like never really did anything else truly with his career. That's what he's known for. And he doesn't even like shy away from that. Like he still like goes to like events and stuff like that and will like be like, yo, I am that guy. That was me. You know, he's not ashamed of it. Kind of like how Jason David Frank is the green power ranger. And he yes. will always be the green power and he owns it. He doesn't he care. Still he's is. Like, yeah, yep. He loves it. He loves it. Like, and that's a good thing, man. Like, how fortunate could any of us be to do one thing, one time that makes the entire world know we exist? And why would you ever be ashamed of that? So I love seeing people like that who own it, you know? So I love Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. That's like my favorite. You reminded me of the Green. I hated the Green Power Ranger when I was a kid. <laughs> when he was like, the bad guy, son of a guy. bitch. Yeah, when he when he, t- when, they, when he was revealed to be the bad guy. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you son oh, of a bitch. <laughs> then he comes back as the White Power Ranger. As the White Ranger, yeah. <laughs> oh, what a racist times. show that was. The most racist <laughs> show ever. <laughs> like, like, I'm the Yellow Power Ranger. You you know, y'all gave that to the Asian lady, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I'm the Black Power Ranger. You know you gave that to the black guy, right? Like, yeah. like, what a racist show the Power Rangers oh, was. No. <laughs> oh, it was so good. <laughs> I mean, not really, but... <laughs> I mean, the show itself was good, but looking back, like... Because when you're... You know, it was the 90s, so things were different. But, man, looking mm-hmm. back, I was like, ah, y'all, y'all should have switched those around a little, you know? <laughs> the thing is, is it, it wasn't even... It came from a Japanese show, right? Like yeah. All of the stuff of them in costume is a completely different series, and then they just shot some American teenagers around it. Oh, man. There's, there's a show on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us, and the show is about these toys and how these toys oh, became super to big. That. One of the episodes is all about the Power Rangers. And it tells you exactly what he did, how the Power Rangers was made. And, yeah, the concept was this guy had an idea for a show. He saw this, like, Japanese show, and he was like, I could just take this because you can't see their mouths moving. Yeah. I could dub over it, and we could make it a whole new show. <laughs> and, like, it took years to for somebody to actually pick it up, even though it was shopped around. But eventually, it, it became, like, a huge hit. Crazy. I think there's um there I don't know if I've got this little story right I might have it wrong um there's a show called The Water Margin that was um very 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 old it would it would have been a little bit old when I was a kid so I and it was it was a Japanese you know everything in Japanese very classic and it was very martial arts but the thing is apparently that when it came to this country nobody knew what they were talking about so they basically made it up they put the actors in a in a recording studio and dubbed it not knowing what the plot was and they just figured one out <laughs> just put another plot on it <laughs> no man that's genius. I know. that's genius <laughs> a, i love rick and morty rick and morty is like one of my favorite yeah. cartoons and one thing i love i love about that show is how kind of organic it sounds 
Like, mm-hmm. it kind of sounds like when you actually watch the show, like, they'll laugh at themselves. And it's almost like they took all the audio first and then put the cartoon over top of it. Yeah. That's what it feels yeah. like. And it's it's so genius that way because it all sounds like they're just making it up as they go. <laughs> I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Someone yeah, needs to do that with, like, an old martial arts movie. Is is we just redub one? Oh, it's it's great. They actually did one. It's called Kung Pao. Oh, okay. I've yeah, seen that. Yeah, Kung Pao, the way of the fist. This guy just like CGI'd himself into an actual kung fu movie because like there's like a ton. Um, there's a ton of movies that are just public domain. You can do whatever you want with them, and uh, he dubbed himself into this thing and just made a story and like redid all their voices. It's it was genius. It's really genius. Oh, that's brilliant! I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna watch that. It's very I'm cheesy, that. but it's if you like cheesy kung fu movies, you probably dig it. Oh, oh yeah, no, that I'm sounds good. like a movie. That sounds like something we should definitely watch. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, now then, have we got anything else we would? I'm 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 sure we could talk all night. Is there anything else that we we, could. we need to be talking to you about? Tell us um, about um. Um, how can people find your 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 stuff? I know that uh, everyone knows you, but let's uh, stick it in there anyway. Um, so you have everything on YouTube, and you have uh, stuff for sale and and stuff. Is there any particular links? So you-, so you can find us pretty much on any social media under the McDojo or under McDojo Life. So if you type in McDojo Life in any social media platform, you should find us. Our our Facebook we got. Uh, kicked off of Facebook about two years ago because of a copyright issue that we were never able to fix. And so we are rebuilding our Facebook now. So on Facebook, we're The McDojo, um, which only has like 50 followers right now because we literally just started trying to rebuild it like two weeks ago. Uh, I keep creating accounts and they keep kicking me off. And finally, they just stop for some reason. (laughs) So like I'm not going to try to jinx it. But as of right now, I actually have access to being able to post on there again. But we got kicked off at about 110,000 followers when we originally got kicked off of there. So Facebook's the ultimate McDojo. (laughs) It's uh, it's I'm I've never been a fan of censorship um, on almost anything. I, I think that words are powerful, and I think that they do mm. control people, and I think that they tell you a lot about an individual, um, how they use words, how they put them together in sentence structures, their tone, pace, cadence in which they speak. But the other thing is you can spot assholes from their speech. Why would you want to cover that up? <laughs> like to me, I'm saying let the assholes speak. If somebody says something on social media, you can just block them. You can unfollow mm. them. If you don't like what they have to say, you don't have to listen to them, which is the most beautiful yeah. thing about the Internet. You can just go click, and there's billions and billions of other things to listen to. So I just never quite understood why censorship was so strong online when originally the Internet was the wild, wild west. You could say yeah. and do whatever you wanted, and that was an easy way to spot people that you probably shouldn't associate with. You know, Like, for instance, if you have a person, a friend, who is racist – and you would never know that unless they had a social media in which all they do is post racist things. Well, I go, oh, Steve's a racist. I will no longer hang out with Steve. Thanks, social media. And then I just mm. don't follow Steve anymore and I move <laughs> on. But what happens is when you block that kind of content, you're blocking free speech. You're blocking the ability for people to think for themselves. You're forcing narratives at that point because you're saying you're not allowed to even listen to this other narrative, no matter how out there it is. And I think that what that does is it devalues people's intelligence. 
it puts people in a position where they can no longer start to free think and they are forced to think a certain way or act a certain way or they will be ostracized. And I think that you should be ostracized for your actions and your speech, not ostracized because you were not allowed to take an action or speak. Um, that just that's the equivalent of burning books is what we're looking at when it comes to that type of that type of ignorance is to say you can't say that blocked or not blocked by a person but blocked by the entire website itself yeah yeah, yeah. You know? if they're breaking a law i get that kick them off you know for, for sure but if they're not breaking a law and they just say something you don't agree with don't listen <laughs> like mm. just don't listen to them it's not hard <laughs> but I don't know. It's, I always found it a shame because I think that when children are growing up in an age of extreme censorship, they're no longer allowed to grow up to be artists. They're not allowed to be free thinkers. They're not allowed to be musicians because they can't think and express themselves the way they'd like to because you can't say that. You can't do this. You can't be that. There's a lot of can't going on. I think yeah. there should be a lot more of can and then people will naturally weed themselves out. Mm. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of a lot of censorship, a lot of cancel culture going on right now. Mm. Yeah, Definitely. Like, I just I to me it just baffles me. You know, I, I really wish you know, like when I was growing up, things weren't the best. Things will never be the best. There will always be something wrong. That's it's yeah. right. You can't help that. There will always be people who don't agree with you. There will always be things said that you don't think are right. There will always be, be people out there doing atrocities. It's unfortunate, but it's just facts. But one thing we should be doing is evolving as a race to understand that thought is important. <laughs> thought leads to inventions. Thought leads to power. Thought leads to the ability for us to be able to grow together. Um, when you start to segregate away thought, you start to segregate people. You know, mm. you're not allowed to think this way. Well, automatically, as soon as you say that, you've automatically created a split. To yeah. tell someone they can't think or feel or act a very specific way, you have created a split. And that split makes you have to choose. Are you on this side? Or are you on this side? Why does there have to be sides? Why can't we just do what we did when I was younger? We could just disagree, and that was okay. Mm. <laughs> like, I miss that. I miss disagreements that didn't lead to people being kicked out of families or lead to yeah. people being shot or lead to violence. You could just disagree. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Disagreements are great. That's called the debate, and then you debate, and then you both grow, and you get other people's points of view and opinions, and now they're valid because they were able to speak their mind, not just say what they thought they could get away with saying. Like, I really feel like we don't really get the real people like we used to because I think people are so afraid to say the wrong word or to tiptoe around the subject yeah, that they yeah. have to be fake. Like that's not reality. That's that's a con contrived reality. That's not yeah. true. It's it was molded. It's molded by people who tell you what you can and can't say. That's that stuff just irritates me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. It is because when as soon as you create sides, you also lose the ability to have. Um, I'm partly on your side, but partly on that side, and also partly on this other side that you haven't heard of yet. You know, you can have parts of opinions that, that mesh. You can't be entirely one side or the other. It's, it's very few people are. Those, there's, that's a very strange place to be when you're entirely in one camp. 
debts, I I have a very difficult time even respecting those people's opinions because they are quite clearly lopsided. You know, Mm -hmm. like when I look at people, again, I don't expect other people to think the way that I think. That's the beauty of it. (laughs) Like I want people to think the way that they think and I I want to know how they think so I can maybe understand and grow as a human being. But how I see things is when I look at people and I look at the way that they speak and I look at the way they interact with other human beings, it's nice to see the real them. And not the one that they're putting out to the world, their avatar that they're putting out to the world that follows all the exact guidelines and says everything they have to say because they'll lose a friend if they said this wrong pronoun or the adjective didn't get put where it was supposed to be or this person wasn't – you know, like that kind of stuff is important for people to be able to process through. And when you start censorship – when you start the censorship thing, you start putting things in a very weird place. You know, like I can see the good and bad in most people. Most people have good and bad in them. You know, like that's the beauty of people. (laughs) Like if everybody thought and acted and were the exact same person, how weird would the world be? Yeah, it'd be very, very tedious. If everyone was like me, no one would get anything done ever. (laughs) 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 Nothing would ever be finished. We would all be going like, can you tell me what to do? No, it it wouldn't work. There's um, no, that's good. But I feel like I should say I disagree now. <laughs> uh, well, that would be great if you did. You you disagree, and I wouldn't have a problem with that. Like I yeah. love open debate. I think that it's healthy, and I think that it goes to show that people can stand on their own two feet when somebody says, "Nah, I'm not feeling that," and then you just move on with life. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> like and that's amazing, yeah. isn't it? It's like the world does not end. And yeah. there I go agreeing with you again. I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You shouldn't shouldn't do that. Stop immediately. Uh, but yeah, man, I I appreciate you guys having me on the show, and thank you for the chit chat. Yeah, no, no it's been really really good been, to talk to you. It's been brilliant. Yeah, man. Okay. And, uh, and, yeah. yeah. Keep doing what you're doing and pointing everyone at the frauds. I try. No one else, no, no one else seems to be doing it. So, yeah. <laughs> well, it? I got plenty of free time, so I got them. <laughs> yeah. Cool. No, thank it's you great again for having me. Thank you guys. Thank you. Take care. Have a great day. Night. Cheers.